0: As a founder, I've always focused on increasing the probability that, you know, our company is going to be successful while, you know, minimizing as much risk and, you know, if we can achieve in one one year that takes most companies 3 years, you know, we we'll would always take that route.
1: That's Michael Carnjnan Apricorn, the co-founder and executive chairman at Skillshare. Michael has always had a passion and love for education and learning. His career in tech began as an outsider looking to prove himself. And so he ended up taking a pay cut and moving to New York to join Scott Belsky at Behance with two things in mind, do whatever the team needed and learn as much as he could. While product market fit was already found at Behance, Michael later dove into product at Hot Potato, both deepening his skill set and knowledge in that area while getting to experience firsthand the search for product market fit. He then dove into launching a startup of his own, Skillshare, by following three simple rules. What Michael is talking about when he talks about reducing risk and growing faster is an extension of those rules, and what led him to growing Skillshare over the last seven plus years, raising close to $25 million and more. This is Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share, and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. I'm Franco Ovariano, and today we're speaking with Michael Karanjanaprikorn, co-founder and executive chairman at skillshare over a decade ago a career in startups wasn't as common a career path as it is today and michael had to prove himself diving into startups by working with scott and the team at Beehance. after several years of growing with that company michael joined a small startup called hot potato to continue to build his skills in the industry when it was ultimately acquired by facebook he decided it was time to work on his own company michael joins us to share his story how he got into startups How his co-founder proved to themselves that Skillshare would work, what it was like building the platform in the early days, how they've approached raising close to $25 million, what's next for Skillshare, and much more. So let's get started. Hey Michael, thanks so much for being on the show today.
0: Uh, Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Excited to have you here. I'm a big fan of Skillshare and and all the things that you guys have done and, and really looking forward to getting to learn, you know, more about what it was like building the company that it is today. But before we dive into all that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study?
0: Yeah, so born here in the US in Virginia, but my parents decided to move us to Asia when I was in elementary school. So I grew up in Seoul for most of I guess my elementary years and then moved back to Virginia when I was in middle school. So I got to experience a little bit of both sides of the, the world and two different cultures. And yeah, I grew up in Virginia and, you know, being first generation you know, a lot of what I was focused on was very education-based. It was all about, you know, studying, getting to good school and, you know, having a lot of those opportunities get unlocked through education. We could, we could talk about how that, that leads to Skillshare, but that was kind of most of my background.
1: That's really cool. So where did your passion for technology and entrepreneurship come from?
0: I think I have was- kind of you know i've always been interested in i guess just the internet you know when i was really young i remember getting in trouble oh, hocking up the phone just playing on the internet so i've always you know been very interested in the internet i think but i think my passion for i guess technology and startups really started to materialize after i graduated from school so i graduated from college i went to probably like 2004. And back then the internet was, you know, obviously very big, but working at a startup wasn't as obvious as it is today. So I kind had of had to take like an unbeaten path to get there.
1: Yeah. So given that startups weren't as obvious a career path as they are today, how did you start your career? What were some of your first few jobs?
0: Yeah. So, you know, let, let's say I, I could probably take a step back and, you know, everything for me growing up was getting into a good school. And there's just such a such a huge, importance place on education. I think a lot of it just stemmed from my mom and, you know, she grew up in Korea and culturally their education is a huge component. I, I don't know if you've heard of this, but when they take their SATs in, in Korea, planes are not allowed to land, you know, they shut down. Roads, and this is just to make sure that people can get to their, their version of the SATs on time without any traffic, without any noise. Wow! I mean, it's a really, really huge cultural theme for for that culture, and you know, they, they attribute a lot of you know the, the rebuilding of that economy after the Korean War to education and technology companies like Samsung. So, just give you a little bit of context is why there's such huge importance placed in education. So, from there. Obviously moved here, did everything you're supposed to do, studied really hard, did all the sports and extracurricular activities, got into the University of Virginia... There I had a great experience. It really opened my eyes up to what life was like outside of Creo outside of Virginia, um, where I grew up. But when I graduated from there, I just realized that the education was a little expensive, you know, a lot of what I learned I felt wasn't really relevant. You know, it was like a kind of what I call like a one size fits all model. So I majored in econ and sociology, but you know I wasn't very passionate about it either. It was you know just a set of things that felt like I should major in. Um, and then from there, I went to another school called the VCU Brand Center. And it was a completely different experience. So the school there, and that's where it really opened my eyes up to a different type of learning experience. So we were taught by practitioners, you know, they would come in and teach um, and go back to work. Uh, there were no tests, no quizzes. I never had to buy a textbook. Everything was project-based, so they really believed in, you know, learning by doing and collaborating, you know, with your peers. So I came out of that school feeling like I was going to become the next Steve Jobs. And I I would tribute a lot of my personal experience or education to why I started Skillshare, because I wanted to create something that was accessible, affordable, wanted to be very focused on relevant skills that were applicable in the real world, and kind of wanted it to be personalized for what I wanted to learn and how I wanted to learn them that led to kind of like the birth of Skillshare through those personal experiences.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to get into more of that. But diving into more of this, you know, educational experience and the impact that it had on you. Like, What were your next steps before you really started thinking about launching Skillshare? What What did you get into?
0: Yeah, so Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, and I was really compelled to move there. So I volunteered for about a year, I spent you know some time working at an ad agency and uh, I volunteered at a charter school that had an 80% dropout rate at the time, and they were trying to convert that to college graduation rate. That really opened up my eyes to, to working on something that mattered, that drove a lot of impact, and it really, I would call that the mission-driven era of my career where I really got exposed to working on something that mattered. And that's when I started thinking about what could, I, what could that look like if we, if we did that on the Internet? And that's when I realized I didn't really have a lot of experience working at a tech startup, that's when I decided to move to New York. Um, I worked at a startup called Behance with founder named Scott Belsky, who is now a partner at Benchmark. And my only goal was to learn as much as I could. So I did anything and everything they needed. So I worked, you know, on product and design to business development, customer support, community management, whatever they needed to get done. I was the guy that got it done. And I, I would definitely say I learned a lot there, especially you know working on a product that was working. So I, I didn't realize it at the time, but that platform had a lot of growth, and a lot of network effects, and I really learned a lot about how to design products that actually worked, um, and, and applied a lot of those lessons and learnings to Skillshare.
1: Wow, that's pretty incredible. So you just spoke of this you know, whole period and working at Hands pretty casually. Like, What was the entire experience like? How did you meet Scott and create the opportunity to join Behance?
0: Yeah, I think I got introduced to him through someone I met in New Orleans, but I think that was, that opened up the door, but I was just really annoying. Like I would email him with ideas. You know, at the time I was dating someone in New York city. So every time I would fly in, I would just stop by their office. You know, I would also email him or sometimes just stop by unannounced. And, Cause I knew they were just always working. And every time I would stop by, I would have some progress or some new idea that, that would turn into a project that I would just work on for free for them. I really got to know the team throughout the experience. So when I emailed Scott to ask him if he knew of any opportunities in New York, that's when he kind of brought me onto the team, so it was a natural progression. But it was a lot of persistence because I knew that I was unproven, I was unknown. I was just really hungry, and I just wanted to learn. I thought Behance, you know, was would be a very big platform, which it ended up becoming, and I just wanted to be part of it.
1: That's so cool. I love these kind of stories. So fast forward a bit. You're now back in New York. You've gained all this experience, you know, working with Scott at Behance. You then ended up joining another startup called Hot Potato to specifically work on product. So what was this phase of your career like?
0: I think, you know, the reason I, you know, moved from Behance to Hot Potato is because, you know, I went from doing a lot of things and, and out of all the things, I felt like, you know, I really wanted to major or specialize in product. I did a little bit of everything at Behance and I was like, man, I really enjoy working on product. I think that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I'm actually really strong in. And the opportunity of Hot Potato is to help lead their product team. So I worked very closely with the founder there, and uh, whose name is uh, Justin Schaefer. And the job there was to take the vision that he had and, you know, help lead a team of engineers to execute against that vision. I think, you know, over a span of around a year, we've launched, you know, a couple of different products. Um, we were looking for product market fit. So I think my experience there was, you know, kind of different from Behance because Behance already had some version of, you know, a product that was working and, and Hot Potato, were are searching, searching for it. So I got to experience both sides you know, of the coin. And you know, that company ended up getting acquired by Facebook. Um, and then you know, I used that opportunity to start thinking about you know, what it would look like if you know, we started Skillshare. And that's when I started working on it.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what I wanted to dive into next. So you went from doing everything to doing something very specific that you had a deep interest in, product, and then combining your own passion and experiences into your own idea. So you spoke a bit about what motivated you to launch Skillshare earlier, but what was it about, you know, this particular time or phase of your life that really motivated you to go all in and, and
0: just do it? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to pinpoint like any trigger. Like I, I just remember those years I was just really hungry. So you now I was working at these startups and I always, I knew that the end goal was to to start something and it reminds me of a story. When I took the opportunity and the job opportunity at Behance, and I actually was at a crossroads at that time. So I had actually a job offer to work at an advertising agency that paid double. I can't remember what it was. It might have been like 85k or something. The offer at Behance was like half that. And I was at a huge crossroads because, you know, living in New York is not cheap. And the offer I got from Behance was actually less than what I was making in New Orleans, which is a significantly cheaper city than New York. But I remember chatting with Scott in... He asked me a very simple question. And, and the question was, you know, you know, where do you want to be in five years? And you know, what do you actually want to be doing? When you think through that, you should take, you should pick the decision that puts you one step closer there. And it's a, it's a pretty simple question. Cause you know, you, you get asked that a lot. Like, what do you want to do in your life? Where do you want to be? But I knew the answer pretty quickly, which was I want to start a company. Uh, I don't know what the idea is yet. I have, I have some inklings, but I, I know I need to learn right now. And, and made the decision to work at Behance and take that, I guess, fifty percent pay cut really easy. It was, I would come here and learn as much as I can. It, it would be kind of like my MBA in startups, and from there I can leverage that experience to to launch and do something down the road. That's what I did. So throughout those years, you know, a lot of you know, my time was just spent just learning, um, and then on the side I would just you know have a little notebook, a note taking app on my phone. I would just write down ideas all the time. You do that over a couple of years, and you'll have you know one to two hundred different. Ideas and you know, looking through that list, that's when I started thinking through what I wanted to do next.
1: So, how did all those ideas really distill into what would become Skillshare? What was that process like?
0: Yeah, so we had at the time I was working with who became the the co-founder of Skillshare, and his name was Malcolm, and we got to know each other. and I would say we we're kind of like founder dating. So, while I was working at Hot Potato and Behance, you know over over years, we would maybe you know grab dinner every you know month or every other month and. We would just talk through ideas. We would talk about, you know, our jobs and what we're learning and what we liked about it and what we didn't like about it. And if we ever had to start a company together, this is what it looked like. And we would talk about our culture and we talk about different product ideas. And we just did that for a couple of years and got to know each other. And and after Hot Potato uh, got acquired by Facebook, you know, I kind of mentioned to him that maybe it's time for us to, like, actually start something. I remember that time was... There was there was a period where I was just like a sponge, and I just wanted to learn as much as I could. And there was like a, a like a shift to like being really motivated, and inspired to to I guess venture out and do something on my own. It was kind of like a switch that just happened. And I think part of that switch, you know, when it when it when it flipped, was some of it was probably acquisition, but the other was like we were kind of looking through the list, and there was like one idea that just kept sticking out that we talked about, and it was something we were really passionate about, and. You know, we kind of had a litmus test that you know, we should work on ideas that we think, you know, will be around for a long time that had some huge impact on the world and, you know, something that we could commit to for five, if not 10 years. And it just came down to education. And I remember in the, in the note you know, section of the ideas, the, the original idea was to create a physical school and we called it like an innovation school. Then we started realizing it was a kind of like real estate, it was not a tech company. And that's when we started talking about what it would look like to create an online platform. And that's when we started to flush out the idea for Skillshare.
1: That's amazing. And so how did you guys approach building the first version of that online platform?
0: So uh, I remember that, you know, when we talked about the idea, we just spent a lot of time talking about how we wanted to approach it. And I think both of us had a lot of experience working, you know, he worked at, the, he worked at a company called OMG Pop at the time, which is like a, a mobile gaming company that also got acquired. And, you know, we worked on a lot of products that just didn't work. And we talked a lot about luck and timing and how that played a factor. And, you know, um, we didn't want to spend three years of our life working on something that didn't work. So we kind of created a little, I guess, maybe a framework or a set of rules that we would kind of abide by if we were going to go down this route. So one of, you know, one of it was like we wouldn't spend more than three months working on it. We wouldn't code anything. And we would try to hit a couple of milestones. I think it was like a thousand email subscribers and maybe a hundred students that paid us for a class. Um, and that, you know, was kind of like the criteria uh, or the rules that we kind of try to play by. And I think when we first, you know, the first version of Skillshare, I remember when we asked all of our friends, you know, what they thought about the idea. And it was a pretty funny period because everyone we talked to, they're like, this is a great idea. You guys have to do it. You know, this is going to be the next big thing. And I think through that, we got really excited because every you know, piece of feedback we got was super positive. And then we realized that, that that feedback was not helpful at all. Because if you know this is such a great idea, someone else would have executed before us and it would have been extremely successful. And so then we flipped the question and we started asking everyone, like, why would this idea fail? Um, and tell us why this idea sucks. And it, it was alarmingly obvious that everyone had opinions on that. And it went from the same people telling us that this is a great idea to this is the dumbest idea of all time. And here's why. Let me give you my top 42 reasons. And after we started getting all that feedback, we realized it all always came down to one big reason, and that was because people couldn't teach. So the number one reason why Skillshare would never work is people couldn't teach. You have to go to school for six years. I had terrible teachers in my experience, so it's really hard to teach. You know, I'm very knowledgeable about X, but so I don't even know how to teach it. And, and what we realized at the time was we really just had to debunk that one assumption, which is the average person can teach. And that's what we focused on.
1: Wow, that's a great approach towards tackling, you know, what would conceivably be the biggest challenge to growth and adoption and just working to debunk that. And so while you guys were working on that challenge, where did the name and the brand come from?
0: Yeah. So I guess when we started working on it, we started, we started thinking about what the name would be. And there's a whole movement called skill sharing. We're like, oh, you know, then it was basically around people in local communities sharing their skills with each other. So we're like, oh, you know, and then Skillshare.com was available. So that, that became a pretty obvious one. And then, you know, we started working on it. And we didn't want to build anything because we wanted to just focus on validating the idea. So we used a lot of tools that were widely available. So we use Eventbrite. The first version of Sculpture, all the classes were in person. So and I think the link is still live today. So if you you know search Sculpture or go to the URL, Sculpture1.Eventbrite.com, you could go up to 10 or 12 or 15, and you could see the first 12 to 15 classes that were ever taught. Um, I taught the first class, which was you know teaching people how to play poker. From there, we just got all of our friends to teach classes on anything they wanted. And I think, you know, throughout that experience, we realized that, you know, one, people can teach, and two, like, we went to every single class, and we kind of brute forced that whole initial, I guess, um, marketplace. So, you know, we went to every single class, I was a TA, I helped market every single class, so I got to understand, you know, what it was like to be a teacher that also had to market their class. And... Throughout that whole experience, we just realized that you know people can teach and there's a lot of demand for from students to learn, and um, that's when we decided to kind of go all in on the idea and kind of delete that three month criteria that we had earlier.
1: Wow, so you guys just dog fooded the entire you know platform and experience from day
0: one. Yeah, I mean, we were very, very customer focused. I mean, I would definitely say that my background's product and, and design, and we did not think about that at all, like, we were just focused on the experience and getting as much feedback from customers and you know there's some you know i I always say there's like some point as an entrepreneur where you just go all in right so maybe for some people it's like you get the first user and some people it's like 10 or 100 or 1000 or ten thousand. but there's some point where you're like this is just totally going to work and i need to go all in on it i think for us i think it was like when we broke that 10 class 100 student mark we're like we can totally build a business around this and let's start building the software so that we can start scaling this marketplace.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. And Build, you did. So to date, Skillshare has raised, you know, close to $25 million. And I'm sure you could talk for quite a while about, you know, just what it's like fundraising. But overall, what was that experience like for you?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think there's, you know, many different ways to grow your business. You know, you can self-fund it, you can grow it through profits. And, you know, we kind of chose the venture route. Yeah. So it's been, a you know, a great option for us. We've raised, I think, you know, Close to $25 million to date for some great investors, you know, including Union Square Ventures and Spark Capital and, and Founder Collective, among many other investors. And it's it's been great, you know, to work with other investors that have scaled platforms that reached you know massive you know, amount of users and have also IPO'd and just to learn from their experience and help us navigate you know what I call the mind fill of startups. Um, you know, let's say 99 out of 100 things just don't work. And if you could knock that down to 90 or 80 or 70, you know it just increases the probability of success. So as a founder, I've always focused on increasing the probability that you know our company is going to be successful while you know minimizing as much risk. And you know if we can achieve in one one year, that takes most companies three years. You know we would always take that route. You know that's kind of the route that we took.
1: So just going a bit further on that, given that you've spent, you know, a lot of time working on product market fit, at what point did you guys go out and raise some money? What were some of those early conversations like?
0: In regards to fundraising, I guess to get the idea started, because we could build the website ourselves, like most of the expenses in the other days were just our, our living expenses. So I guess we kind of self-funded, you know, the first three to six months. And in order to do that, we ramped, like, I guess our personal expenses down to the minimum. So I remember around that time, like I kind of I shaved my head so I, I wouldn't have to get haircuts anymore. So it was like literally to that extreme. And then once the product started working, we realized that um, we need a little bit more capital to extend the runway. And that's when we started to raise capital from angel investors. And that process is just really long. At the time, nobody wanted to invest into education companies. You know, we got so many different no's. And we're fortunate enough to have Chris Dixon and, and Zach Klein and Eric Kaley from Founder Collective. You know, really believe in, in us and. Really believe in the vision and the mission, and you know they—they've led our seed round and the rest is history from there. Wow, that's very cool. You know, you just need those
1: first few people to take a bet on you. That's a very inspiring story. But I don't imagine that you know it was all as easy as it sounds in retrospect. So, what were some of the biggest challenges in scaling Skillshare along the way?
0: Oh, so many. I would say pick the stage and pick a topic, and I can tell you so many different challenges. I think at a high level, you know, I was kind of reflecting on the past experience, you know, just building and growing Skillshare. And I would just say for most of that experience, it was just, I would say resilience and resourcefulness and just pure grit and determination and just not quitting. Understanding that it is a marathon and you just have to keep going and you're always going to have a challenge and every week it's going to be a different one. Mentally, you just have to just keep going and and never give up. Most early stage startups fail for a lot of different reasons, but I, I do think a lot of them fail because the founders just quit. So really understanding the balance between when to keep going, and when to quit is also a really important skill to learn as well. I would say in the early stages it's all it was all product market fit. I would say today it's really around scaling and making the business more predictable and figuring out how to keep growing the business and doubling the business every year. Hiring, recruiting, building great culture, you know, figuring out what things to build on the product, firing people, how to hit our milestones, keep raising capital. It's I would say, as an entrepreneur, founder, or CEO, or any early stage employee at any startup, you'll learn. what most people learn five years at a company, you'll learn in one. And if that's really exciting, you'll learn that pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. So, all the things that you've been through and all the things that you've done, you know, what's next for you and Skillshare?
0: Yeah. So I think we're we're at the stage where we're scaling the company. This week, I just announced that I was shifting over to executive chairman, and our COO is going to move into the CEO role and. Yeah, I think Skillshare is just a much different stage today. And a lot of what we're we're focused on is like, how do you build the machine that builds the product? Or how do you build the organization? So a lot of our work today is, you know, obviously hiring, recruiting, fundraising, expanding to new countries, new categories, testing out new products, investing a lot into marketing and getting sales up and running. So it's a lot of moving parts. So it's funny that in the early days is, you know, just me and Malcolm sitting on my couch in my living room, you know, just designing and building and, you know, it's turned into this you know, living and breathing organization that has so many different moving parts. So I think the next stage of the company is, you know, how do we build a category defining company and brand that impacts and reaches as many people as possible? And I think, you know, that's a different set of challenges, but you know, also exciting at the same time.
1: So how is taking on this, you know, particular challenge changing your day to day? Are there any new approaches in how you think about the company at this stage?
0: Yeah. So, you know, going going to the different phases of, of a company and startup, what I did, you know, over the past couple of months is really as a leader, you just kinda of observe your own strengths and weaknesses and you try to overlap that with what the company needs and what you're passionate about and where you get a lot of energy from. And I just realized that what Skillshare needed at this stage was a CEO that can kind of build that organization. It was extremely passionate about it and, and can scale it. Going back to what I said earlier is like I'm always looking at, at ways to increase the probability of our coming being successful. And I concluded that having somebody that was experienced in doing that, you know, allow us to achieve all the things we're gonna achieve over the next, you know, three to five years. So that's when I decided to kind of move over to a different role. So I'm still, you know, there day to day, but I'm more focused on maybe working on new products, you know, fundraising. You know, working with the new CEO and long-term vision and strategy, even doing podcasting reviews like this and being more external, which I didn't get to do while I was being the CEO. You know, I wrote a blog post about this and you know, I kind of framed it around just passing the baton. You know, I, I kind of took it from zero to one and one to 10. And um, I felt that, you know, Matt Cooper, who was our COO for about, for the past year, you know, was the, the guy and the leader to take us from 10 to 100. So that's, you know, kind of what, what prompted the decision, you know, what I'll be doing day to day moving forward.
1: Cool. I'm really looking forward to seeing you know this this next phase of the company from 10 to 100 as you mentioned And of course as you guys continue to scale the impact that Skillshare will continue to have in the world
0: Yeah yeah so I'm pretty excited and I'm excited for the trajectory of the company and I'm kind of excited for this new role you know some of it allows me to focus in on that zero to one area again um, around new products for Skillshare um, while also you know being as helpful as I can and also just learning I think, like I mentioned earlier, like I think my whole life has just been centered around learning and, and being challenged and, and learning from those experiences. And I think that's what keeps me motivated and inspired personally. And if you overlap that with working on something that can have a huge impact in the world, it's you know truly inspiring.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, are there any industries, spaces or approaches that you're looking at? Anything that sort of caught your eye?
0: Yeah, so you know we're we're thinking about what 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 would a new product look like if it was a little bit more structured and led to outcomes for students so we we're testing out a new product called Maverick so it's 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 going to be an online school that's 100% free that's also 100% project based and peer to peer learning so what that means is that there will be no classes and no teachers no no traditional video lessons and the entire experience is centered around learning by doing and um, so if, so a great example for that would be if you want to become let's say a blockchain blockchain engineer, developer, you would complete a set of like 20-30 projects and you would learn from all your peers that are also learning and um, you would walk out with, you know, a portfolio of, of projects and you know there would be uh, job opportunities at the end. Um, everything would also be self-paced. So, you know, a lot of those ideas we've experimented throughout the years or it came out of my personal experience in school and looking to see if we can kind of move that online and keep it, you know, continue innovating and and see if we can deliver value and access for students worldwide.
1: Absolutely. That's really cool. And so we've discussed a lot of different things throughout the course of the episode. Do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about?
0: Yeah. So, so one thing I was actually thinking about recently when someone asked me the same question around, you know, how do I, you know, how do I prioritize my time as a leader and a founder and, one of the quotes I, I wrote down in my notebook a couple of years ago was just, you know, sitting around the, the concept of doing the hardest thing first. And the hard thing is always going to be the hard thing. And you can spend a lot of time thinking about it. You can spend a lot of time procrastinating on it. But a nice mantra is like when you wake up and you know you have that, that task that it's just going to be really hard to do, I always just prioritize it and just, just get it done. And if you do that, kind of day in and day out, you'll you'll make a lot, a lot of progress on your goals and your projects, and and you'll be extremely successful. So that, that's definitely you know one thing that that comes to mind when I think about you know, different quotes or mantras that, that that I abide by.
1: Awesome, that's some great advice, Michael. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show and share all that you know with us today. We really appreciate having you on.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear about it and have you share with friends. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at Hack to Start or drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com. You can also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes by finding Hack to Start on Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or
0: your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.